This is Tech Talk for Accountant Show, where we discuss the hottest topics, tools, apps, and trends in the accounting industry. This show is sponsored by Rush Tech Support, who is offering all listeners of the show a free IT audit so you can know whether or not your business is at risk of being hacked, having a data breach, or getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for non-compliance. You can schedule a free check at rushtech.online slash podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. I'm your host, Andrew Lassis with Rush Tech Support, specializing in IT and cybersecurity for accountants. With us today is Rich Jackson, who's a cybersecurity specialist at More Clearcom. And today we're going to be talking about the trust accountants place in their third-party vendors, whether that's CRM, practice management, uh, what have you, SaaS products, uh, working from home, risks and how to mitigate, and just the cybersecurity triangle, the culture, process, technology, uh, triad, if you want to call it that. We, we are kind of going back and forth on the names of it. So lots of great topics to cover today. And Rich, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Andrew. So, Rich, how about you give the listeners a little background on uh, who you are, the credentials, and your background, and what got you uh, to to this point in your interest in cybersecurity? Okay, great stuff. So, so I'm uh, with More Clearcom, and we're owned uh, as a business by More Kingston Smith, which is a top fifteen accountancy firm in the UK, and I'm part of More Global. So, we're quite an interesting. Um, organization because we're a cybersecurity data protection based organization that actually sits within a large accountancy firm, which I think is potentially the way way things may shape for other for other firms in the future to have that kind of expertise in-house, but to also be able to offer that expertise to, to accountants and organizations across all sectors. Um, in terms of my own background, it's it's extremely varied. So I've worked across a wide range of different types of business through manufacturing to education. SaaS, um, media. I think what I've picked up through through working through all those different types of businesses and organizations is that uh, subjects such as cybersecurity, data protection don't come as a natural cultural adoption. Uh, and we need to work really hard in our field to, to help organizations kind of discover this subject and why it should be taken so seriously and how today in 20, what, 2021, where it's such a core element of every every business and how it should be focused on it uh, entirely. And the idea of cybersecurity, I think a lot of people, a lot of business owners, they kind of look at it as like a necessary evil. You know, I want to get as much as I can for as little cost as possible. It's kind of similar to insurance. It's like, I know I need it, but I never want to really use it. I just want to pay as little as possible, get as much as I can. I don't understand it at all. That's what I pay you people for. So you had mentioned the the idea of taking it in house and obviously for being on the outsourced IT things or on the outsourced IT side of things and I see it in the the organizations you know the 40 50 and under crowd where having somebody full time in house may not be financially viable so for someone like you though where needing to know the nuances and all of the 
things that are going on in the organization and having somebody internal that sees everything that's going on and is focused on these uh, particulars when it comes to cybersecurity, network administration, all these things, not just resetting passwords and kind of level one things. So at what point do you think in organization it makes sense to take this from an outsourced lower level thing to really bringing it in-house and investing heavily in it? I think it's fair to say that, that every organization, regardless of size, needs to, to embrace its responsibilities around data protection. And, and in the UK, uh, we, have, we have the GDPR, we have consistent legislation that uh, from the outside, maybe from the States, it might be easy to, to assume that everybody in the UK and every business in the UK understands its responsibilities. That's not necessarily the case. It can be um, even three years after it was adopted into law, it can be quite difficult still to, to, to get organisations to embrace it. So in terms of when's the right time to bring in outside support, I think ultimately the question, and you alluded to paying a fee, for instance, for insurance and because it's a necessary evil, that kind of demonstrates, I think, a lack of awareness and understanding. And it, it ties into my manufacturing background in terms of when you're looking at a process, it's easy to jump into how you're going to do something rather than thinking about why you're doing it in the first place. Uh, and if you understand why you're doing something and why you need it, every decision thereafter becomes an awful lot easier. So I think that comes down to culture. And we, when we talk about the, the cybersecurity triangle, I think, if the culture is right and you have a culture of data protection, then it's an easy decision to bring in expert support from outside. And then it's just a question of the volume of that support, how, how embedded you want that, that external provider to be. Is it just a half an hour a month just, or is it just somebody you can call when you need them or is it much more invested, eight, 16 hours a month? So it really depends. And that's the key to empathizing with that organization in terms of how big are they? What's their budget? What do they really need? And making sure that we, we give them something that's fit for purpose and appropriate. And we've seen it on our side where, you know, majority of people that we work with, and I completely understand it if you're coming from an outside perspective, looking at it, uh, where we've seen it costs so much less to be proactive and have these things in place. It costs more than $0, which is what you do when you're choosing to be reactive. Yeah. But there was, there was an example where we, we had recommended backup to a client and she, she said, it sounds expensive. It was only $300 to, to get it set up. You know, I guess only 300 is relative, right? But yeah. um, then everything crashed. She lost 30 years of business and had to pay a data recovery center $5,000 to proactively, you know, if this was, if this had happened, she had taken our suggestion, it would have just been a hiccup and we got to get a new thing in there. Okay. It, all right. This was a minor thorn in my side. I wish I didn't have to go through this, but you know, it's, it's one of these things. It's kind of like exercise, right? Exercise is inconvenient. No one really likes to do it, but yeah. And you have a heart attack and then it's like, you know, exercise really wasn't that bad. Maybe I should invest a little heavier in myself to avoid the catastrophic issues that can happen from not doing these things. So yeah. um, you had mentioned um, culture and what are some of the examples that you've seen in a culture where people are looking at data security 
as an important priority and not just a necessary evil. Do you have any examples of things that you've seen? Yeah, so where it works extremely well is, um, as with most important subjects within an organization, whether it's health and well-being or whether it's cybersecurity, uh, you need champions uh, and you need uh, ultimately the, the individuals or the, the team at the very top to, to have a passion and an investment in this and for them to live by their own code, if you like, so that they demonstrate on a day-to-day basis that they live the values and the core values that they, that they talk about, whatever that might be. Um, I'm sure you've had conversations before on, on the show about the human firewall and what that is and what it what it should look like, but that's ultimately what it says in the tin. It's, it's all of your people linking together to create more strength in terms of cybersecurity defences, um, definitely removing any sense of fear where people can put their hands up if they think that they've caused an accidental data breach or they've experienced a phishing attack that they can, with confidence, put their hands up and say, this might be an issue. Um, and for that not to be seen as a negative, it's all about building that, that transparency. Uh, that's where it works extremely well. Um, consistent training and awareness, uh, not just about legislation, but, but about the principles of, of data privacy and, and the value of, of data and I think when you were previously talking there about how much an organization an organization spend in that 300 pounds example dollars example um, I think value is perceived so depending on the situation what might be perceived to be expensive at 300 dollars in the event would have been very very inexpensive um, ultimately we only decide sometimes there's something has value when it's too late um, but I, an analogy I use sometimes when I'm when I'm giving presentations and talks is about in the UK with the, the seat belts in cars and the fact that when we were first driving cars there weren't seat belts. I think now it would be we would seem see it's really dangerous not to wear a seat belt on a car. But I think if you're driving fast in a car without a seat belt, it's a little bit like running a business without any focus on cyber security. You just wouldn't do it. So um, these things take time, and, and it's it's not something that will will change overnight. I think that the value proposition is really interesting because I think as an industry, it's difficult for the typical customer at the moment to decide whether something is a good or a bad price because they just don't know how to value it. And that's that's part of the challenge that that we need to overcome. The seatbelt analogy, I think, is a perfect one because, you know, when you get into a car, are you anticipating that you're going to be in a car accident? You know, so the argument, why would you, why would you wear a seatbelt if you're not anticipating getting on an accident in this trip? It's just yeah, an extra, yeah. you know. It's, it is, and, it, and it's the same as saying, you know, the, the, the least now in the view is that we have to assume we will be attacked. You know, we, our organization will suffer a cyber attack. So you need to wear that seatbelt all the time. You know, you're not going to have the foresight to go into work one day and you know that three hours later, you're going to suffer that cyber attack. So you have to have you see power on all the time it's the same principle it's the same as having insurance if you pay insurance every year and you never claim on it you could argue that that's 10 years wasted insurance payments but it's not because you're not going to have the foresight to know when these things go wrong so it's about protecting your business and protecting the individuals within it and i think that's a, a great place to to shift gears again so we're talking about protecting the business. And obviously the last year there's been a giant push for the work from home 
movement. A lot of organizations have recognized that they could run their organization, have people at home and the pros and cons. And a lot of times the pros outweigh the cons. I mean, at, at rush, you know, we, uprooted and initially it was just oh well covid so this will be a month and you know 18 months later i'm still paying rent on the stupid thing i'm stuck in that lease but the the work from home it it just makes sense there's less expenses there's there's a lot of benefits to it however if we're looking at the cybersecurity before when they were in an office on a server environment that was physically located there we locked down that server. We locked down the computers. I've got nothing to worry about as a business owner. Now, when yeah. people are at their own house with their own internet, their own everything, how do we, how do we navigate these waters and work from home? Make sure that it's not, it's not so locked down that nobody can get any work done because they have to type in 17 passwords every time they need a new line in a word document. But at the same time, make sure that the uh, PII doesn't fall into the wrong hands or, you know, something gets shared somewhere that it shouldn't, or someone's using a weak password and not having a policy in yeah. place. If you, yeah. do you have any examples of ways that accountants could, uh, have a work from home in still have strong uh, security? It's interesting because there were lots of stats long before COVID came into play about business continuity planning and, and how many organizations might have a business continuity plan so that if their office burned to the ground overnight, could they deploy their employees somewhere else to work effectively and securely? Because that's the other element of this. It's, it's about working securely, but also effectively and being as effective or more effective in that business continuity situation. Um, the stats would suggest pre-COVID that a lot of organizations didn't have a business continuity plan and those who did have a plan never tested it. So ultimately the, the only or the first test came when they actually did have to decide very quickly in the spring of last year to send people home to work. Uh, and if, for instance, we take an example of 100 employees going from one location suddenly to 100 different locations uh, and the level of gamble and trust that was then placed that those environments were secure, as, as you know, was, was, was quite intense. So um, the risk then was that we just didn't know how long people were going to be working at home for. So it, was it going to be a week, a couple of weeks? Here we are 18 months later, uh, we're, we're working from home. Uh, the, the vast majority are going to be working from home insecurely for a variety of different reasons. Um, in terms of how accountants can make it secure, I mean, one of the things that we, we help our clients with uh, as businesses is a home working security checklist so that they can assess each individual, assume that they're now a long-term permanent home worker, which is a different mentality, I think, and so especially in the UK where, you know, previously where you might ring the office and say, I need to work from home today because someone's coming to fix my washing machine is very different to I'm working from home five days a week that then becomes a home office. So it's about treating each individual's home as a work location, risk assessing that location physically and technically um, and having a rigorous checking system for that, which takes into account all of the technical controls, also the physical controls, even to like the room I'm in now have the, have the windows and doors, are they lockable? Is your house alarmed? You know, it is so much to take into account. 
Um, we've probably run a, uh, a session just on that, Andrew, I think, in terms of what you would cover in a home working risk assessment. Yeah. Um, but I think I was looking at some stats last week on, on the UK. Um, in the UK, around about, I think, 80% of employers said they've now got staff that work from home at least one day a week. Um, I think we will see this hybrid, as it's called, arrangement. But uh, now is the time to kind of forget business continuity in terms of the situation we're now in permanent home working and, and to, for employers to, to accept the responsibility that comes with it. Are there any big, if you were going to go like an 80-20 in that checklist, uh, things that everybody, people who are listening, actions they could take to make sure that their employees and, you know, if they are the owner of the business and they've got a lot of important documents and personally identifiable information on their own system, any low-hanging fruit, uh, it, either easy to implement or low cost solutions that they could have as actionable things that they could do. Even, you know, listening to this, there's a couple that come to mind for, for myself, but if you yeah. have any suggestions. I mean, the, the most obvious one is, is that most of these employees as, as most domestic residences will be, are, are going to be operating on a, a Wi-Fi router that has never had the password changed out of the box, for instance. Um, that's, it's kind of obvious, it's a bit simplistic, but that's you know that will protect their, the business and the family. Also, to to kind of get a sense of, we you touched right at the beginning about third party vendors and the systems they're accessing, um, and to start looking at how secure they are as third parties, um, because the individuals are now going to be accessing those systems from disparate locations, from insecure, uh, potentially insecure networks, whereas before there was more control over that. So I think that would be a good kind of point and a good sort of next step of the conversation today, actually. Third-party vendors and, and the assumptions that are made when accessing them um, and how secure they are, particularly in the UK when we have the terminology of data controllers and data processors within the GDPR and where those responsibilities lie. And moving into the discussion of third-party vendors, I know that a lot of the organizations that I've spoken to, they've they've said things like, "Well, we don't need backup. We don't need. We don't really need to protect any of the systems that we're using because it's all hosted on QuickBooks. It's all." you know, in zero. So I don't really need to pay attention to it because they've got that handled. And I mean, to an extent, I mean, you know, when the examples I gave, you know, number one and number two in the U S and, you know, worldwide zero from what I understand is like the QuickBooks of the U S but regardless of whom you're using, We've seen a lot of things where there's take, for instance, if, if you're running off something like QuickBooks online and you say, well, I've got QuickBooks online, QuickBooks is handling it. So I'm good, but you're using the same username and password and no two factor authentication that you use on every single website everywhere. And one of those websites gets exposed and now your email and password is available on the dark web and that could tie to even if it doesn't tie to quickbooks suppose it ties to your actual just email inbox 
and you go to QuickBooks and click forgot password, yeah. check your email. Okay. So they've got access now to everything. And I mean, this is a two-step process. It's not like in the movies, you know, the guy with the hoodie that's typing in the code, who's trying to destroy your organization and all the, the stuff that it can happen. It does happen, but the, that won't happen to me, which, you know, just like I don't get in car accidents usually. I mean, it's, it's been maybe 15 years since I was in one and I still wear seatbelts because it can happen. I'm not in the habit of getting into them. And the ones that happened also weren't my fault back to that analogy. But so when we're trusting a third party vendor, are there any things that you can think of that people should be putting into place or questions they should be asking in, in order to make sure that their data and their clients data that's been given to them is protected? So it's, a, it's, a, it's such an interesting subject because in, when we talk about data controllers and processors in the UK, you know, the, the controller of data will appoint a processor who then may appoint sub-processors. So you have this kind of chain of responsibility and it isn't always easy to identify who ultimately is to blame for something happened. But there's a difference between who's caused the problem and who's ultimately responsible. And, and the responsibility, if you look at accountants, for instance, uh, an accountancy firm using Xero or QuickBooks or any of the others like CCH, um, the accountant has, has appointed those practice management providers to process that data, who then must, may subsequently also use a third party in terms of the hosting elsewhere. So there is this kind of chain of events which could occur. Um, and that's, that's really important because it's very easy when appointing or, or, or buying into SaaS of any kind to, to think like, as you said earlier, you know, that's, that's it, I'm done and dusted. It's not my problem. It's their responsibility. Ultimately, it's your responsibility because you're processing data on behalf of your own clients and you've chosen a service in which to entrust that data into. So, um, and we know, you know, in 2016, for instance, Sage suffered an attack in the US. We know that in 2019, uh, well, CCH had, had an attack, a ransomware attack. It does happen to practice management platforms. They're a really attractive target. If you think about the volume of data um, that those those platforms will use and process on behalf of accountants, they would be an ex- extremely attractive malicious target. Although, as you said, the, the vast majority of, of data breaches and leaks of data will be caused by accidental employee action or an employee facilitating a phishing attack through, through just a moment of lack of attention to detail, for instance. So, um, but in terms of the, if you are procuring a, a, a third-party vendor such as a practice management provider or CRM or ERP, um, I think there's first sort of kind of go-to point is, is what kind of accreditation and certification are they holding? You know, so in the UK, we have Cyber Essentials, Cyber Essentials Plus, we have ISO 27001. US, obviously, we have, we have SOC 2 that comes into play. Um, you know, what have they got in place? Have they gone to the effort to achieve that certification? Um, I've noticed with some of the, the practice management providers that they don't necessarily hold it, but they look for hosting partners who have it. So there is that kind of quality in, 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 the, in the chain, if you like. Um, but I kind of made a note of seven questions that, that I would probably ask in that procurement process if I was an accountancy firm. So think about management of access. 
uh, and who has access to that data. So do you know exactly when you bring in a CRM provider who's accessing that data and, um, and who, in terms of network control, is permitting access to that data? So, you know, you think of it as yours, you think you're giving it to ABC CRM, but what are they doing with it when they've got it and, and what kind of reassurances have you got? Um, Definitely, if, you're, if you've got an IT hat on, think about perimeter network control and asking for controls and specifications, all that kind of level of detail. Um, because I know that this happens in the health and social care sector with, with health tech, which is huge and, and is absolutely going off the scale at the moment in terms of the, uh, the adoption of technology in health. It's all sold on features as opposed to security. So there's very little focus on security in that selling process that really should be there. Um, in terms of data protection, when you're being sold, the practice management on the CRM, they talk about security by design. Is that in their language and is that something that you can sense within the culture of their organization? Because if they've designed a product with security in mind, as well as great features, then you know you're getting into bed with a good partner and you're going to be okay. Um, I think another one to, to really think about, and this is something I've experienced firsthand, is if there was an incident and a breach, do you get the feeling that they would be transparent with you and they would tell you and they would inform you in a timely manner that something's gone on? Or do you think that their culture might be to hide that? Because it, it, we, we know that happens uh, or that there's a downplaying of, of incidents, uh, data breaches, cyber attacks, or they're reported much later than they should have been. Uh, and there's been obviously ransomware that's just so huge in the news globally at the moment. And if we, when we have time, when the dust settles, I'm sure we'll look back and analyze how many of those attacks were reported in the timely manner or were originally downplayed. And I know going back to the CCH ransomware attack in 2019, part of the feedback from, from customers was they found it very difficult to get information about what happened. And they felt it was downplayed a little bit. Um, and when they did get through to customer service representatives, it didn't feel that they equally knew exactly what was going on. So transparency and, and learning experiences there. Um, and also the scalability and, and reliability of the product. So as as you know, cyber, cyber crime, cyber criminals evolve at great pace. Have the products that you're investing in got the ability to scale with in step wherever possible, always maybe a step behind, but um, it, it's really key, I think, to, to when you're going through that procurement process to really ask all of these questions in a really deep and meaningful way. And don't get too dazzled just by the features of the product. But Rich, I have Norton. I'm protected. <laughs> You're fine. But, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You got you got Norton. All right. Never mind. It's all good. Well, that's that's you know, and that's and that's a, a great subject. Now, joking aside, trusted brand. You know, and ultimately, this is you know, I'm not saying that Norton are guilty of social engineering, but we trust social en social engineering attacks work because of of trusted brands. And um, you know, in the UK, one of the most successful phishing attacks is the HMRC it's our, our tax office because people trust that brand so implicitly that they're more likely to, to get caught out by it and, and and I think that there's so much to be said for brand being more powerful than quality and brand overcoming quality because the, the best products are not always the products with the strongest brand so um, you know we get into into trust and that again another subject to talk about with heuristic or critical thinking in social engineering and and how, how we as people tick is, is a great subject and why we just fall, fall foul of these, of these attacks. 
it is something that, and, and I, I said it in jest, obviously knowing that you would, you've probably run into that same uh, response from other people, but I mean, there's, there's so much to be educated on and there's, you know, it's, it's one of those topics that the deeper you dig into it, the more and more you realize that there's just so many infinite directions and so many infinite vulnerabilities and, you know, like at a high level, right. Work from home. And it's like, Oh man, all my employees are at risk for X, Y, and Z. But then there's also, if your laptop is in a car, do you lock your doors? How secure is your car? Are you keeping the laptop in plain sight? Is the laptop, does it have a hard drive that is encrypted? So there's, there's so many levels to these things that obviously have a, having antivirus, very important, but 10 years ago, it stopped a larger percentage of the issues that happen than it does now. So it's not necessarily that having antivirus will ever stop being important, but you do have to realize that back in the day, just for example, this was a 50 piece puzzle and that was one of them. And now this puzzle has 5,000 pieces and is 3d and you still have that piece. It's still going to be necessary, but there's so many different angles and 10 years ago, ransomware didn't even exist. Like that just was not a thing (laughs) you would get, they would pay money to get a virus off the computer, but now encrypt all the data and you take an it professional and they're coming in after the fact saying, get me my data back. And it's like, okay, well, step one, what backup did you already have in place? You know, did you put your seatbelt on before the accident? No. Well, we're in a very, very tough spot. There are ways to remediate. Sometimes it's going to be crazy expensive. It's going to have a lot of downtime. There's a much smaller chance of success. And for you know, not much money, even relatively speaking, like I don't think that backup. I don't think anyone's ever looked back at it and said, I wish I'd spent less money on backing up my documents in case something happened. Like I'm, and then maybe, maybe that happens. And I'm just kind of speaking from my, uh, you know, my ivory tower, but. We're noticing in the, um, the, the national health service in the UK, which is famous around the world is, is, is leading the way somewhat in terms of, helping the organizations within its realms to operate best practice when it comes to data protection and cybersecurity. So for the providers of care, such as care homes and hospitals, doctors, et cetera, they have they introduced uh, what they call a data security and protection toolkit, which is a, a range of self-assessment questions to help these providers to put good things in place. So it's about encrypting removable devices, it's about backing up your data, it's about testing it. There's operational elements of it as well. You know, have you trained all of your staff? Have 95% of your staff benefited from training in the last 12 months? It's much deeper than that, but if we apply that to accountants, that's something that a more clear column is starting to 
to look at more and more and to provide those, those, that guidance framework that's specific to accountants. But a lot of this is transferable across all business sectors. It doesn't just apply to one or two. Um, and if you think about ransomware, and it is really goes back again to human science, it's not so different to um, a bully taking a, a kid's dinner money or lunch money away and saying, you know, I'll, I'll make sure you don't get beaten up and I'll well, give you something back at the end of the day. It, it really comes down to human science and and, uh, and and just putting things in place to to mitigate it, as you said. And if, the, the one thing as well, which is definitely coming to, to fruition in the UK, and I don't know if it's the same in the States, but we, we have the GDPR in Europe and in each, in each nation in Europe, they have a supervising authority to oversee it. We have the Information Commissioner's Office in the UK, the ICO. They have very powerful fining powers. They can fine, you know, extremely high amounts of money. They haven't necessarily been using those powers too much and what's happened and whether it's connected or it's separate. But what we're seeing now is a real shift towards the main financial concern being litigation, class action, civil claims. Uh, rather than how much the ICO will, will fine you. Uh, and that's now becoming a, and it's a real concern. And that, that's something that all organisations of any size should start to think more about, especially when it's, for instance, accountants who, who process really sensitive personal data, highly valuable data. What's the impact of, of our organisation suffering a malicious attack or an accidental breach? You know, in six months' time, are we going to be hit with a, with a civil claim? Uh, that's absolutely a huge concern at the moment and and you can't put a cost on reputational damage you know the, the ongoing loss of business losing existing customers not being able to get new customers um and i think also that going forward and, and this may be a couple of years away not maybe not even that far away when it comes to procurement organizations are probably not going to add anyone into their supply chain that hasn't got some proof of their cyber security standards and and Cyber Essentials, which is the UK government-backed scheme over here, uh, is very much about supply chain strength. It's all about making sure that every organisation in your supply chain has equal or equal stronger standards of data protection, uh, the same as you have, so that everyone within that chain is protected. Um, and I think that's that's going to be critical. And I think it'll be very difficult in the future to, to, to get into supply chains if you haven't gone through some process of proving your data protection standards. I do believe that there is a shift in the culture and in the compliance space to make sure that these things are protected. There's a lot of things that in the States even that are being adapted. Like California has got really strict data uh, protection laws. And I don't see other States watching that happen and saying, well, California does it, but we don't do that. There's a lot of different regulations for if you suffer a data breach, these states require you to disclose it within X days to your clients to let them know this may have happened. This is what we know. And I love how you were talking about the downplaying because I banked with Capital One and received, this was maybe two years ago, but a, a quick little email about a little cyber incident that happened. And I was like, a cyber incident. That's such a wonderful euphemism for we were hacked and your bank account information may be at risk, but we, we had an incident. 
Hopefully you don't click the link to read more, but just just to legally disclose it, there was a little whoopsie doozy and maybe somebody that used to work here leaked everything. I I don't remember the particulars of it, but it was. Banks are interesting because for for any, I've noticed a real pattern with if there's a malicious cyber attack. Um, the, the organization that's been breached or attacked is very quick to reassure its customers in relation to credit card details. So they'll, you know, they'll say, look, we've suffered this, you know, catastrophic attack, but don't worry because your credit card details weren't affected. And that, there's two things going on there for me. There's, the first thing is that they feel that their customers are only interested in the credit card details and not the rest of their personal data. But it also proves maybe a lack of understanding in terms of how valuable our personal data is because, you know, if you lose or lose or your, your credit card or it's stolen, you know that you can ring your bank and put a stop on the card, and most likely you'll be reimbursed any money that's been spent on that card. That's that's kind of how it works in the UK. Um, but if if your personal data is out there and it's the kind of personal data that doesn't change, um, then it's gone. It? Um, but I think that maybe kind of underlines the lack of understanding of, of the, the value of personal data, and if and if the public and society doesn't understand that this data has a value, how are we going to help them to understand they need to protect it? Because they don't intrinsically value it. So that's, you know, when, when we kind of go back to, right back to my manufacturing background and when we're looking at um, a process, you know, you don't go straight to how are we going to do it? You think about why are we doing it? Who's going to be affected? What are we going to need to do? When do we need to do it? And, and who needs to be involved? You know, the five W's and the one H, as it's called in Kaizen. Um, that's that's relevant to every scenario. Um, but again, if people don't understand that personal data has a value, or if businesses don't understand their responsibility towards that data, it's very, very difficult or impossible to make that next step. Um, and something I was thinking about this morning, actually, and I thought it'd be really good to, to mention this when we talk today, is that it's, it's almost kind of the way that we accept the manner in which you would deal with someone with an addiction. And you know that unless they're accepting of it, you're not going to be able to make that next step to recovery. And I think it's it's true. That's true of, of cyber security. If you don't understand that you have a responsibility towards it, you can't help organizations put the right things in place. Or as you said, they might grumble about cost and that might be because they just don't understand why they should be doing it and they just feel obliged to. And if, you, if you're only doing something because you're obliged to, then you're not going to, roll that through your culture and your, your organization isn't going to be passionate about it. It's just something else you have to do. But that's kind of how I see it is that if you, if you acknowledge there's a problem and embrace that, then that's the massive first step towards developing that, that cyber security culture. And coming from somebody that's eight years sober, you hit it right on the head for, um, for when people want to change, it's got to be, in internal decision, you know, everybody on the outside can say you have to do this. And, you know, in this analogy, you know, it's like the intervention, it's like you had a data breach and now your family is threatening to cut you out of their lives. So your clients are threatening to leave unless you do something about it. And, you know, it's, it's in the past, it's already happened. And I think people don't understand the value that is on their data necessarily because they're probably just not involved in that world. And I've been in the data brokerage, 
kind of on the outside, but I've seen how the inner workings of it go. And a customer database is worth so much money if an organization knows how to harbor it. So you could be, it's just an Excel sheet on a USB drive that's worth millions of dollars. Your personal information and knowing that you fit into a particular bucket that they know how to particularly sell, it's it has so much value on it and much more than, yeah. well, they could just open a phone book and find this information. You know, Google me, there's my email address. It goes so much deeper than that. But yeah. I think you're right yeah. that most people don't really understand. And, you know, if, if I just go on those, uh, the store and say, hey, who wants my personally identifiable information? How much money will you give me for my information alone, just me. That's, that's stupid. And so we look at it through just that lens of, see, nobody wants my information, but if you're part of a collective and you all check all of these boxes, whatever it is, whatever that organization is looking for, and whether that's for advertising or for nefarious things, you know, it could be this person is over 75 years old with a high income that doesn't own a computer and doesn't have grandchildren to tell them that what they're doing is stupid. You know, it categorizes them as a prime target. And so the, the responsibility to protect these things, it's not only about your reputation, which is still so important and you can't, undo. And there've been so many examples of companies that, you know, perfect, 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 perfect. One mistake. And all anybody looks at is that one mistake. And it's very, very difficult to shift when someone's looking at something through a negative lens, they will ignore all of the previous great things that happened. They will look at the one bad thing and you know, there's countless examples of that. You can look at human psychology, why people change brands after being crazy loyalists for years. It's uh, <laughs> us humans are very, very complicated people. <laughs> we are. I think, well, I think bad, bad news sticks. Um, and, and as you said, you know, it's, I, I don't, it's definitely it would vary probably from culture to culture, depending where you are in the world. But I, I know that in the UK, we're quite cynical and sarcastic by nature and, and it's uh and our and our press probably reflects that and you know we as you said somebody can do nine amazing things and, and do good for the world and then they trip up and make a mistake and, and that's them you know that's them characterized and that's that's it forever and um and i think it's fair to say that the mistake we all make as well when it comes to cybercrime or ransomware or data breaches is that I don't have any data to back this up, but I think it, it applies in all, all rungs of life is that we only know what we know in terms of the breaches and, and what's going on. And I put a survey up on LinkedIn a few months ago about what percentage of ransomware attacks that we hear about do we actually think represents the true percentage of, of what's really going on. And, and it received, I think, about 900 votes. And the vast majority, sort of 80% plus, thought that probably we only hear about 5%. Um, but that's so that's, the rest would be you know either not publicized or they're paid um and that's the you know that's the thing also to remember when we think about bashing people for bad news 
is that we're bashing the people we know about um, in the same way as a kind of really extreme example, Andrew, so I apologise in advance for this. Um, you know, we know the names of very famous serial killers, but we don't know the ones that are active in the London court. So it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> so it's an extreme example, but that's, that's the human psyche. You know, we kind of, we know what we know, but we also have to acknowledge that the vast, it's like the iceberg, you know, nine tenths of it is below the water. We don't see it. And that's really important to be, to be conscious of, I think, sometimes is that, you know, you can, and same with illness, you can only diagnose it if you know it's going on, you know, and so I think that's very important that the, the vast percentage of the stuff is going unnoticed. And what are those organizations doing about those things when they go wrong? You know, they're paying ransom and no one's any the wiser. How much data has been breached in the meantime? I think Stephanie Domas um, gave a TED talk in about 2016, talking about the value of credit card data versus health data, for instance. And I think uh, in her view, it was health data is worth 10 times as much on the street as, as a credit card. Uh, credit cards, like I said, is very temporary. It's resolved very quickly, you know, inconvenient. But health data and, and the kind of information like for you, social security numbers, things like that, once that's out there, it's out there. That's, you know, that's your number. It stays with you for life. You, you can't correct it um, when someone's got their hands on it. You can do all sorts of stuff with that kind of data. So, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, sobering thought to think, you know, we only know for such a small percentage about, about what's going on. But each of those lessons helps us to learn and, and to improve, I think. I think that's a great place to stop off. Rich, thank you so much for being on the Tech Talk for Accountants show. Where can people look you up and learn more about you and more Claricon? Uh, so our website is uh, www.moreclear.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Rich Jackson, so people can find me on there. On Twitter, we're at, at moreclear, M O O R E clear. Um, and if anyone wants to get in touch by yourself, more than happy for them to, to email me direct, rich.jackson at moreclear.com. Wonderful. Rich, thank you so much for being on the show. And guys, if you enjoyed the episode, be sure to subscribe and share. It's how we can grow the channel. And as always at Rush Tech, we offer complimentary IT audits. So if you listened to this episode and realized that you have no clue about how secure your system actually is, we can conduct a free audit for you and give you some peace of mind and clarity on what you currently have, perform a gap analysis and let you know what needs to be done in order to not only protect your client's data, but in a lot of cases, reach compliance as well. So Rich, thank you so much for being on the show and everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Tech Talk for Accountants show. Be sure to subscribe if you like the show. And remember, if you would like a complimentary IT audit of your business, go to rushtech.online slash podcast to schedule a time with a certified technician who can look over your current IT systems and make recommendations on how to make sure you and your clients are safe.